0: There, all you dream warriors, you wicker men, you birds with the crystal plumage. You're listening to The Shuddering, a film podcast covering vintage and modern horror cinema, as served up by our favorite streaming service, Shudder. My name is Nick Rocco Scalia, one of your two co-hosts, joined as always by my other co-host, Chris Oliphant. And though he's always glad to be here, Chris, I'm guessing you're a little extra glad to be here tonight.
1: Indeed I am. You birds with the crystal plumage. Nice one there, Nick. That's some old
0: school Argento there, and I'll be honest, I've never actually seen that movie.
1: I have not either. Think it's on Shudder? (laughs) I don't think.
0: Think we might need to do it on the show (laughs) at some point.
1: (laughs) Uh, Guess what? I'm down for that.
0: (laughs) I figured you would be, but not as down as you're going to be. Later on tonight, we're going to be talking about Rob Zombie's 31, and I know you're a big zombie head, and I'm really excited to get into it.
1: I mean, I wouldn't classify myself as a zombie head, but I am a fan. Um, I that was I, a,
0: a thirty-one based pun there, by the way.
1: Oh yes, I got it. Damn it, Nick, you're so <laughs> slick. I, uh... You know me. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> you know me and bad puns.
1: I, I no, I've I've seen all of Rob Zombie's movies, and I've been following him, you know, since pretty much the beginning. I saw the Devil's Rejects. Um, which I still maintain to be, like, his masterpiece. And that movie, I mean, that movie terrified me, and I just sort of followed him from there on out. You know, I I liked his Halloween movies. Um, I I really liked the Lords of Salem. I love his whole Firefly trilogy. I even own a copy of his wild animated movie called uh, The Haunted World of El Superbisto or something like that, which is hilarious. So, yeah, I mean, I I am definitely a fan of his films, as I know he's a very divisive filmmaker. There are many people that are not big fans of his, and I can completely understand why.
0: That's fair. Um, I mean, I haven't seen as many as you have. I've seen most of them, but I still haven't done Halloween 2, and I still haven't done 3 from Hell, actually, which I really want to see the conclusion of the Firefly trilogy because I'm 100% (laughs) with you. Devil's Rejects is a masterpiece. I think it's his best movie. I mean, I I guess I've been following him even before he was a filmmaker. I used to love White Zombie and their music videos and the whole aesthetic that he had. We're not just talking about Rob Zombie tonight. We always do a vintage pick and a modern pick. Our theme this week, is Trapped and Hunted. So we're talking about movies that are set in a single location where characters are pursued and stalked and frequently murdered by whatever else is in there with them, I guess you could say. Uh, so the other <laughs> film that we're going to be talking about, we're going to hit this one first, is 1986's Chopping Mall, which is a movie that we've actually talked about years ago on another podcast, and I was excited to see that again. But, coming back to Rob Zombie, I just mentioned that earlier, Chris, because you seem to talk about his movies a lot, and, uh, and he gets brought up <laughs> very often in our conversation, and um, you saw 31, like, right when it came out, and I finally just saw it. I've been waiting years to see this movie, so I'm looking forward to to hearing your thoughts on it,
1: yeah, I mean Rob Zombie's just one of those guys who um, I think at the time just sort of became one of the more prominent directors in the genre, and certainly has his own style. So, oh uh, yeah, you always
0: know you're watching a Rob Zombie movie
1: for sure. And there's a lot to be said about that. Like I love when when directors really just take ownership of their own style, uh, for better or, or for worse.
0: In some cases, absolutely. Right. Like not a filmmaker with a lot of range, but certainly very distinctive style. And also he's a guy that loves horror and always has and is just like so enamored with schlock and genre films and the classic stuff and the the grindhouse stuff. I mean, he's just like he's almost the Quentin Tarantino of horror movies in a lot of ways. Like... Just the the way that he talks about these films, the depth of knowledge he has, and the references that he pulls from all over the place. I actually just watched a vintage clip from MTV Cribs, where it's him just like walking them through his house, and he's got all this horror memorabilia, obviously, and just some (laughs) really cool stuff. He's got a pirate bar. Yeah, I don't know. That just came up on my YouTube the other day, and um, sort of serendipitously, because we're talking about a Rob Zombie movie tonight, but yeah, really, really interesting guy, and and I think he's definitely made some interesting movies. And then, of course, there's the director of Chopping Mall, Jim Winorski, who has a career that just, uh, I mean, we're talking about like hundreds of movies that he's made. <laughs> Certainly not all very good ones, but we'll get into that. But Chopping Mall is definitely a, a point in his filmography that's worth mentioning on this show.
1: I also really enjoy Rob Zombie's uh, faux trailer in the Grindhouse film. Sure, uh, yeah. Werewolf Women of the SS. And... uh We'll see about his range, Nick, because he has a new film coming out, so this is kind of timely as well. Uh, his Munsters adaptation is going to be released, I believe, on Netflix.
0: Yeah, I think it's going straight to Netflix, which I guess was the plan all along. And and not too long ago, there's a little bit of backlash there. People are saying, oh, it's not good enough to go to theaters, and it's just going straight to streaming. But I, I do remember... I thought that was the plan. I, I never really thought that was going to be a theatrical movie. I have seen the trailer for it. It's very, very broad and over the top. And I don't know. I mean, to me, it, it feels like a very vintage kind of TV style humor. What do you think of the trailer? Have you seen it yet?
1: I have. Um, it's going to be interesting. And I don't know much about the monsters, So it's, you know, I kind of going in without that background. I think it's interesting that it's going to be a PG-rated movie. and um, <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's a huge uh, departure for him, for sure.
1: Yeah, and I think it's a shame because, I mean, he hasn't had a wide theatrical release, I think, since Halloween II. Um I remember when Three from Hell came out, it was playing at like, one theater in Jacksonville, and if you didn't go see it like that Thursday or Friday night, it was like gone. You know, so. true of Thirty
0: One also, right? They did like yeah. event screenings for that, but they didn't have a wide theatrical release, which most of his movies. I mean, just the thought of The Devil's Rejects being a mainstream movie that you could just go see at the multiplex <laughs> with everything else. I mean, that is a pretty hardcore movie in a lot yeah. of ways, and mm-hmm. I, it impresses me that he's able to do that when when he is able to do that. But yeah, I did watch a little bit of Munsters growing up. I mean, it's way before my time, obviously, mm. but I think my mom liked the show. It was like something oh. that she grew up with and uh, definitely showed me that. I mean, I was more of an Adams Family guy and me we've too. already done yeah. ton of movies based on that, but I'm interested to see what he comes up with there. A lot of familiar faces from his movies there also, not just his wife, Sherry Moon Zombie, who we see a whole lot of in his movies, 31 being one of those. But, yeah, you know he seems to bring the same people together time after time i, I love that we've talked about that on, on yeah. other shows before where directors get these sort of repertory players and they just keep bringing them back and mm-hmm. I don't know if you're a fan of that director, I think that's always a really fun thing to see
1: indeed, and Nick, the completest in me will not allow me to not see <laughs> the the uh the new movie, so um, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward
0: to it. I mean, hey, you don't have to pay for it, right? It's on Netflix. So right. <laughs> how bad could it be? It's coming out right in time for Halloween, so yeah, I'm, I'm interested. Um, so, what we do on the show, as we have said many times, but in case anybody's just jumping in for the first time here, we discuss and review two films per episode. As I said before, one modern film, one vintage film, linked by some kind of thematic connection. And we rate those on a scale of one to five. And then we'll also give you an R-I-Y-L, so a recommended if you like. So we're going to name a film that is a more popular film or a more well-known film than the ones that we're reviewing. And if you like that film, then you'll probably like, or you're likely to like the one that we're talking about on the show. And of course, all of these are streaming on Shudder. But as we've said way back at the beginning of the show, doesn't really matter if you have Shudder. We're not sponsored or endorsed in any way by Shudder. And these films are all available on a number of other services. So you can purchase these films and rent these films and stream these films in other places. I've noticed recently that there's a lot of crossover between Shudder and Tubi. So Tubi is free and available, I believe, everywhere. So if you don't mind watching some commercials, they're occasionally pretty lengthy commercials. But if you're okay with that, then you can see a lot of films that are also on Shudder on there as well.
1: Hmm. I didn't realize that. I have watched a few movies on Tubi, though. I'll confess.
0: I have too. I mean, it reminds me of watching movies on TV when I was a kid, yeah. and sometimes the commercials would just drag on so long that it's like you kind of lost the thread of the movie. And I still feel that a little bit. <laughs> but you know, if that's the only option you have, it's a good one. At least it's free. Uh, the other thing is, there's a difference in Shutter between the Shutter app, the sort of like standalone Shutter app, and then Shutter on Amazon Prime, which I found out the hard way a couple of times. It was trying to watch a movie i downloaded it for prime and i wasn't able to watch it on that shutter but it was available on shutter like on the one that i have on my phone and on our ipads and stuff like that so just another sort of quirk of shutter that unfortunately probably a lot of people who enjoy the service like we do have have come across in their time I was not aware of that either. <laughs> <laughs> so you think Shutter is just working perfectly for you at all times?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I have had that thought though. I've been like, that's kind of one drawback because you can't download it. You know what I mean? Like if I were going to go on a flight or something and wanted to watch, yeah, sure. something on Shutter, um, that's not an option. But uh, yeah, it's it's I'm I'm very very happy with the service. Obviously.
0: Oh, I mean, I am too. It's the horror section of the video store I grew up in, like wrought large digitally, mm-hmm. and I think that's pretty awesome.
1: While we're at it, I'll say uh, one thing I would recommend that just popped up on Shudder, which I started last week. Did you see they have that new series, The 101 Scariest Movie Moments of All Time?
0: Yes. And uh, I haven't uh, watched it yet because I'm afraid it's going to spoil movies that I really want to see.
1: I, I feel you, but I, yeah, there were a few in there that I hadn't seen, but man, it's, I watched the first episode, nice 45 minute, uh, Show. And I really, really enjoyed it. It's put together very well. And I love all the commentators they have on it. They got a lot of, you know, heavy hitting directors and whatnot. So it's, it's a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, it looks really great, but you know me and spoilers, so I'm afraid to watch it. And, you know, as we've talked about on the show, right? There's so many movies that I just haven't seen yet that have been on my list for the longest time. Like 31 was one of those. Chopping Mall was one of those for a long time before we saw it for talking movies or the long take uh, when we talked about it a while back. So uh, maybe I'll just watch that show and just skip over parts or something. But, (laughs) you know, I don't want to see the best scene in a movie that I've always wanted to see that I haven't gotten to yet. Maybe you'll have to just make me a list of everything that they talk about and uh, i can decide whether i want to watch or not but yeah sounds really great that's kind of their uh their big get for halloween this year and good on them i mean another thing that i really like about shutter is that they are constantly updating there's always new content you really can't keep up with it but that's kind of a good thing
1: yeah the curation is amazing it really is yeah so
0: we love you shutter Give us money.
1: Well, let's talk about Chopping Mall. And I love, because lo- Nick is not fibbing. We, li- we literally recorded an episode on this movie, I think s- probably seven years ago or something like that, on yeah. a previous program that we did. Uh, so I was really excited to revisit this, this film.
0: Me too. So check out a little bit of the trailer for Chopping Mall, and we'll be right back to talk about it.
1: They broke into the mall for the wildest all night party of their lives. At that meet. But you're never alone in the chopping mall.
0: What's that? Robot All right, we are back to talk about 1986's Chopping Mall, film directed by Jim Wynorski and executive produced by Roger Corman under his Concord Pictures label and produced by his wife, Julie Corman. So a little bit of a family affair here. A couple episodes back, we talked about the movie Piranha, directed by Joe Dante, and that was a Corman production. So if you want to hear my whole screed about Roger Corman and how important he is to genre films, go back. Mm -hmm. I think that was episode three, Chris?
1: Uh, 4, I believe.
0: Episode 4, that's right. So, um, hey, listen to episode 3, too. What the hell. But uh, <laughs> if you want to hear a little bit about Roger Corman, we won't get into all of that tonight. But... Again, this is another film that he has his name and kind of his imprint on. And the director of this, Jim Winorski, as I mentioned earlier, has just so, so, so many credits. Uh, there's actually a documentary about him and his filmmaking process called Papatopoulos. And this is another person who's made a lot of genre films over the years, uh, including the Stalker movies. I believe he did the first two. And lots of ripoffs of Alien, lots of girls in bikinis kind of movies from the heyday of uh, softcore home video stuff, so kind of an interesting filmography there, and this movie... I mean, this is like the most 1986 thing I've ever seen. And (laughs) while I was a very little kid, I was alive in 1986, but not terribly aware of what was going on around me. This movie brings me back in so many ways. I didn't see it until I was much, much older, until long after this era had ended. But this feels very much like a movie of its time in just about every way it possibly could.
1: Yes. And when this is going to be funny, but whenever I think of the 80s, when I think of like the most 80s year, it's always 1986 for some reason. It's just like 86. I mean, you're right smack dab in the middle of the decade. Um, And I, I find it bizarre and also funny that this was the same year that Short Circuit came out. Yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, 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 uh, I couldn't help but think about that movie a couple times as I was watching this, but yeah, this movie is the prime example of, of 80s. I mean, to the nth degree for sure.
0: Absolutely. So, I mean, let's just get into what it is really quickly. If you haven't seen this film, it is set in a shopping mall, as is pretty clearly indicated by the title. And it's about a bunch of teenagers, all of whom look like they're about 30 to 35 years old. And (laughs) they decide to have a party in a furniture store in the mall. I love this. Well, after the mall closes, they're all going to like drink and screw in this furniture store, which Mm -hmm. seems like a terrible idea because some of them actually work in the furniture store. So, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'd probably do that somewhere else. And at the beginning of the film, we learn that this mall has purchased three security robots. These very sort of... I don't know exactly how to describe them other than 80s looking robots with red visors and tank treads. And they are there for mall security. And of course, the mainframe in the building that controls them is struck by lightning. And for some reason that makes them go crazy. And they start stalking these teenagers through the mall and killing them with lasers. And they've got stun guns and uh, all kinds of advanced weaponry, none of which really would probably be useful. Like Maybe the stun guns, but mostly would not be useful for mall security purposes. But (laughs) I guess let's put this right out there. This is a very campy, very cheesy, almost comedy horror. I would actually call it a comedy horror movie, tonally a little bit similar to Piranha, but I think even a little bit more over the top than that. And it's just kind of tongue in cheek and designed to be a
1: very good time. Yeah, at one point, doesn't one of the robots have, like, C4 or something like that? Like, I was like, oh, my God, they have C4? They're pretty
0: well armed, yeah. They look like, so these robots, I mean, this is a very low-budget movie also. They did shoot in a real mall, so that's pretty cool. Um, You know, that's that's one of those things that I think really gives this that 80s feel is that, I remember the mall in the town that I grew up in, and it looked just like this, you know, down to the carpet and everything and the layout of the stores and the the windows and that kind of stuff, the fountains and the glass elevator. So, again, this movie really brought me back and did so in a way that I think took it even further past, you know, a good recreation of that time. Mm -hmm. But uh, these robots, they remind me of, do you remember ROB, the NES robot that if you had that very special version of the Nintendo Entertainment System, it came with that robot, uh, ROB? (laughs) No. Oh, man. I missed ROB. (laughs) Well, they look kind of like an evil version of him. But yeah, it was a very stupid toy. So you could like... (laughs) there were games that were made to be played sort of alongside it, and he would, like, stack these little tiles and stuff. I never had it. Uh, My family was not that wealthy. I don't think any of my friends had it either. I think it cost, Mm -hmm. like... It was like another hundred dollars or something on top of the NES base system. But it was like this little <laughs> robot that you could play, I think, two games with. And yeah. again, very plasticky and very cheesy looking and uh, and certainly a creation very much of the 80s. So these robots look a little bit like that. Um, Chris, you mentioned Short Circuit earlier, and I think it was maybe in the IMDb trivia for this movie. Oh, uh, one of the items mentioned that um, they're actually the opposite plot, right? So this is a movie where mall security robots that are supposed to be good get struck by lightning and then they turn evil. Whereas Short Circuit, both of those movies, because that's a two-film franchise, that is mm-hmm. about a military robot that gets struck by lightning and ends up being good and kind of a an <laughs> ET-like sort of figure.
1: I watched Short Circuit so much as a kid because we had the VHS Me too. in our household. Oh, well, yeah. we
0: didn't have it, but I watched it a lot, too. Oh. Johnny oh, Five. I, Johnny Five was I, great.
1: Yes. Yes. That's a... I haven't seen that probably since my youth. Um, I actually saw the sequel as well, I believe. Oh, I'm um, sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I I couldn't stop at and it was funny because as I'm watching it I'm like, I wonder what year that came out. It has to be close and I'm like, oh my god, they came out the same year. That's that's just wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful trivia. Yeah. There.
0: perfect. Perfect little synergy there. So, I don't know, where where do you want to start with this movie? We've kind of gotten the plot out of the way. There's not a whole lot of it. So, like
1: like you mentioned, like the the low budget aspects of this movie, the corniness of it running through many elements of the film including like like the music, man, like the music in this sounds like it was made on like one of those like keytar, like Casio keyboards or something yes. like it just like so low budget. And, uh, Chuck, you know, Chuck
0: Sereno act- is the composer for this. I really like the music in this, by the oh, way. Oh, I'm not,
1: I'm not. Yeah I'm, yeah. I'm not trying to diss it by any means, but it's definitely like this low fi sort of thing. And I mean, the acting is what it is. There's some, I think that some of the dialogue in this is it's pretty bad but also pretty funny Um,
0: Uh, Chris I think the dialogue is wonderful it's it's terrible, but wonderful, right? Yes, like yeah, it's, I, I know exactly what you mean. Yes, yeah, yes, it, it, this yes. is a good, bad movie. I think in a lot yeah. of ways, this fits that description very well. I actually wrote down a couple lines of dialogue. We'll get to them later. They're all oh, amazing. Okay. Like, this movie has... There are moments that made me laugh literally out loud in this movie. And, uh, yeah. and, and I can't say that for a lot of pure comedies, you know? Particularly from this era. You know, you go back and watch some of those 80s comedies you grew up with just because they were there. And you're like, this isn't really that funny. This movie kind of is. It's got some real wit to it. And also, I think the the direction of this and the way things are staged in this is actually pretty good.
1: Well, I will comment on that, Nick. What you got to love about this is the tight 77 minute running time. Yes. Like it has no time to waste at all. It just goes and goes. And you know, when I was watching this, I watched it just last night. Like, it's pretty damn action-packed for, it is. for, for, for like the yes. you know, it's like it just once it gets going, it's it's very entertaining.
0: For a very low budget movie, especially, right? Because exploitation movies, that's what they do, right? They kill time in between exploitation scenes, you know, your mm-hmm. nudity and your violence and stuff like that. And this movie has no time to kill. So actually, uh, the 77 minute cut released as Chopping Mall. That was the second version of this film. I guess there is a longer version yes. that was put out to distributors before that called Kill Bots, which is nowhere near as good of a title. But that film is, I think, like something like 20 minutes longer. And... I don't really want to see that version. I really like right. this one a lot, and I think part of that is just the pacing. Like you said, it's all killer, no filler. There's absolutely no time to waste. We get a great opening scene that's kind of disconnected, it's basically a cold open that's disconnected from the rest of the movie. We meet our characters really quickly. The robots get unleashed, they get struck by lightning like within the first 5 minutes, and then it's just um, you know, uh, again as we we talked about as the subject of this show, it's a trapped and hunted movie where it's almost like a Die Hard type thing, right? It's a confined location, and these characters kind of have to fight their way through with these killer robots uh, right on their heels. The characters go through an air duct at one point. This is before Die Hard, by the way, Uh, I was thinking of that as well. I wonder if McTiernan and D'Souza and company might have seen Chopping Mall before they put that together. Oh, I hope so. That would be so awesome. (laughs) I'd love to see Bruce Willis in this movie also. Yeah. and Steve Gutenberg. <laughs> oh God! <Yeah. laughs> well, everything should have a little Steve
1: Gutenberg for sure. Uh, yeah, I guess one thing that's worth mentioning is uh, I read—I think it was on Wikipedia—where there was a film critic who compared it to uh, George Romero's *Dawn of the Dead*, and those are kind of some things that I mean. Obviously, they're both set in a mall, but I didn't really pick up on the uh, you know the theory that this has sort of like. You know this these anti capitalist themes from like the eighties and stuff like that, which we we talked about on our previous show with John Carpenter's They Live. Yeah, I think it's interesting that like there there could be some depth to this, as cheesy as it is. You know?
0: Oh, I think so. I think this is a, yeah. a much smarter and wittier movie. I mean, look it's it's a bad movie, and everybody involved in it knew they weren't making high art, right? But I do think it's. It's a, it's a creative and clever movie in a lot of ways. And yeah, the subtext is definitely there. Like the idea that this mall would have these kill bots as its security, like that's how much they care about people and how concerned they are about shoplifting, which is not really a violent crime. But you've got these robots that have all kinds of deadly weaponry on board. I mean, they're not supposed to use deadly weaponry, right? They're supposed to use the stun guns. But just the idea that the, the owners of these businesses are so concerned about shoplifting that they'd have these robot security security guards is i think a pretty yeah. pretty serious commentary on uh, capitalism in 1980s america
1: Yes, and uh, it's also worth mentioning that uh, the legendary Barbara Crampton is in this movie. Barbara
0: Crampton's an amazing cast, actually. So you've got Kelly Maroney from Night of the Comet. I mean, an amazing cast for an 80s B-movie. Paul Bartell, who we've seen recently on this show in Piranha. He has a fun little cameo at the beginning of this, uh, as well as Mary Warrenoff, Dick Miller, the great Dick Miller, also in Piranha. <laughs> um, so many...
1: Crossovers. Fun little
0: addition there. Yeah, and uh, one of my favorites, John turleski who is in Stalker. Chris, have you seen Stalker?
1: I have not, but I could not get over. The, this movie has the most annoying gum-chewing I've ever seen in my life.
0: Mostly with, uh, by John turleski yeah. So yes, Stalker yes. is a really terrible, cheesy Conan <laughs> the Barbarian ripoff with oh. a, a lot of breasts and a lot of really silly-looking monsters and terrible sword fights and also directed by Jim Wynorski, and it's a lot of fun. If you like that sort of thing, if you're into um just straight up '80s cheese, not as so, good a movie as this one, though.
1: Yeah, and so not only do we have the crossover with Piranha and um, some of the actors in this movie, but the Barbara Crampton thing. I was looking through her filmography, and I, I'd forgotten how many of her movies I've seen. Sure. Uh, I mean horror re- icon. Yeah, I mean Reanimator, Castle Freak. Um, I love that movie. You're Next. Fantastic film! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Forgot she was in that. Right, and here's the crossover here. She was actually in Rob Zombie's The Lords of Salem. So there you have it, folks. Again, there you go. We unintentionally made another connection between Rob Zombie
0: has probably seen every single movie she made right up until that one. So, oh, I believe
1: it absolutely. Yep. Yeah, so it's just a lot of fun, and I mean, I think the best way to describe it is that yeah, this is the epitome (laughs) with with a capital E of just cheese, low budget eighties, um, schlock I guess I don't know yeah
0: I mean it is totally (laughs) schlock it knows that it's schlock and it's really good schlock I mean the mayhem in this movie is incredible there is a scene I don't want to spoil too much of what actually transpires in this because I think it's really well worth seeing and it's so short I mean you really have no excuse not to check it out if you like anything like this but there is a sequence where these robots are rampaging through the furniture store and my thought the first time I saw this was like they're not going to be able to like really destroy anything in this mall. Right? Because they're shooting in a real mall. And I don't know exactly what's a set and what was the actual location, but I expected it to be like very tame mayhem because they didn't want to destroy the place. But they fucking destroy the place. (laughs) (laughs) These robots like really sort of go nuts on this furniture store and just start destroying everything in their path. And the characters are running away from them. They get guns. Uh, I guess this was a time when you could just go into a store in the mall, peck and paws sporting goods, which is a fun little in-joke there. The characters arm up with like this dirty, hairy revolver and shotguns and all this heavy weaponry. And they're just shooting it out with these robots throughout the movie. And it's it's pretty incredible just how intense and how uh, how chaotic and full of mayhem this movie gets on what I think it was $800,000 they made this on. So for under a million dollars, you get some some pretty good carnage and explosions and and all kinds of action. It's really an action-packed movie
1: some great kills too. Oh some, man. Some, uh, one especially yeah. kills. Yes. And that, yeah. I know which one you're talking about. I yep. guarantee it. And, uh, So many lasers, so many lasers. It's just like... Yes.
0: uh, (laughs) uh, They're those painted on sort of classical special effects lasers like you see in Star Wars. And similar to the Star Wars movies, these lasers don't ever seem to be able to hit their target every once in a while. Uh, A couple people (laughs) get zapped in this movie. There's one really good laser hit in this. But usually they're just firing these things all over the place and they're just not hitting anything. Even though they're robots and should have some kind of targeting guidance, I guess. But it, yeah, they're like blowing them up with propane tanks and shooting at them with shotguns. It's just a uh, I was so impressed by it the first time I saw it because I expected nothing out of it. Right. Like I figured it was not only going to be very cheesy, but also just kind of boring and not very fun. And and I was like sitting at the edge of my seat and cheering for this movie the first time I saw it.
1: It's so much fun. Um So I'm curious, what are some of your favorite quotes from the movie? Oh, okay.
0: So again, I will say the dialogue in this is not brilliant, but there's, and the acting is not all that great either. If you know, I mean, if you've seen Deathstalker, if you know John Terleski, you know, he's not a very good actor. I think a lot of these people in this film are are hired more because they're very attractive and are willing to take their shirts off um, (laughs) rather Mm -hmm. than for their acting ability. But sometimes like the combination of a really weird, bad line and... And a really sort of not great performance ends up being something brilliant. So uh, just a couple of lines I like here. Uh, number one, fuck the fuchsia, it's Friday.
1: Yes, yes, <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> number two, you smell like pepperoni.
1: I happen to like pepperoni. <laughs> I happen to like yeah, pepperoni.
0: Yeah, one yeah. of the, the love scenes in this movie is uh, <laughs> it's, it's initiated by pepperoni talk. Yep. Uh, and then... Computer, huh? Let's go crash the fucker. Love that. Oh, and the other thing I wrote down, and this has really nothing to do with the movie, but there's a shot late in the film where they're actually out in the mall and there was a store they ran by called House of Almonds. And I was like, that can't be a real store, right? Like that's got to be like one of those joke things like in mall rats or something like that. Uh, so, of course, I had to pause the movie and Google it. And Chris, there actually was at one point a store called House of Almonds in malls all across America. They sold I love it. Almonds and candy and stuff like that.
1: That's amazing. I <laughs> I uh I my 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 girlfriend watched this with me and she pointed out at the very beginning, like first couple minutes of the movie, uh, that there's A vitamin shop right next to a McDonald's. I thought that was pretty funny. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I mean, this is a movie you could watch just for the scenery alone, and there's so much stuff like that. And I I don't know what it was. It was, like, very early on, and I was just looking at the carpet pattern and one of the shots out in the mall, and I was like, I think that's the same carpet that my mall had growing up. And it, it just really... There's something about that that really made this movie especially enjoyable for me. Um, Also, I will say, I mean, not that these characters are well-developed at all, and it's such a short runtime that we don't get to really know them that well, but there's kind of a nice little puppy dog romance at the heart of this movie. I mean, it's a very exploited movie. There's there's naked breasts, there are sex scenes in this. It certainly is part of that uh, aspect of Jim Wynorski's filmography as well. But, you know, these characters aren't awful, and we do sort of get to know them, and they don't just bicker the whole time. You know, that's kind of the cheap thing for an exploitation movie to do, is just have all these characters hate each other, but there's some kind of nice stuff going on. Uh, Kelly Maroney's character and Ferdy, Tony O'Dell's character, who's kind of the nerdy guy that gets talked into going along with this whole party in the furniture store thing. Um, they have a couple of really nice romantic scenes together, and, uh, and sort of team up along the way to fight these robots, and I thought that was pretty enjoyable, too. It was, I love Rather sweet for a movie like this.
1: Yeah, and I love how, like, when everyone else is, like, just having sex and everything, they're just watching a horror movie. (laughs) Like, oh, man, it's so good. There's so
0: many things that skeeve me out about the idea of people having sex in a furniture store. (laughs) The fact that that store is going to open the next day and people are going to, like, sit on those couches and beds and stuff. Uh I don't know. Maybe just because I'm a germaphobe. Maybe because we're in the post-COVID era now. The thought of this happening in a place where I'd go shopping just kind of grosses me out.
1: Yeah, but I think you hit it right on the head. I mean, for people our age, growing up in the era when shopping malls were like, I mean, that's what you did. It's like, yeah. oh, time to go Christmas shopping. Like, I'm going to spend an entire weekend at the mall and just knock everybody out. And like, yeah, seeing the setting of this movie and everything, just, just it's, it's brimming with nostalgia. Yeah, it
0: uh, reminds me of walking through Sears when I was a five-year-old. Yep. R.I.P. Yep. <laughs> Sears.
1: Yeah, I love it. Uh, what else can we say? I mean, it's... The the one word that I think of is just fun, and that's I mean really when it, when it comes down to it, like there's so many movies that came out in this era that don't deliver the goods in the fun category the way this one does. Agree, and uh, it's you know it's just one of those gems, and I'm I'm so glad to say. That, like so many of those films, it has enjoyed this sort of like, you know, uh, cult status over the years. And the fact that it's on Shudder just makes it it's like it was one of those things where, like, the first time I saw the thumbnail for this on Shudder, I definitely smiled and was like, oh, man, that's so such a perfect movie for this streaming platform.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a nice palate cleanser, right? Like, it's yeah. It's a a great sort of fun exploitation movie. It's very short, as we've said a number of times. It doesn't require you to think at all. It's not going to disturb you very much. Like if you're even if you're not a horror fan, you're going to be able to sleep at night after you see this movie. Yeah. It's not scary in any way. It's really more of an action movie than it is a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you might be able to say that about the other film we're going to talk about tonight also. But yeah, I mean, it's a nice diversion from the really heavy stuff, the really scary stuff. Uh, this certainly isn't Martyrs, right? Oh my God, no! <laughs> I
1: love. I don't Martyrs, know. But yeah. I, I I gotta tell you, I've seen I've seen Martyrs uh, twice. I don't know if I can watch it again. I've um, seen it once, that's... and
0: I don't know if I can watch it again. So yeah, you got one that's... up on me there.
1: It's a tough one, but a great, a great picture, yeah, for sure. Yeah, we,
0: we may have to do that one on this show at some point. Yeah. That'll be our, uh, our NC-17 episode.
1: Well, there's got to be the French extremity thing coming around at some point. Yeah, you
0: know? yeah. I, I mean, I've liked more of those films than I've disliked, so I me don't too. know what that says about me and you. Um, All right, Chris, so do uh, you want to give this thing a rating and uh, possibly an R.I.Y.L.?
1: Yes, I'm giving this the Atkins Campbell all day long, which is sure. four out of five. Four out of five. I'm going to strongly recommend this movie. I mean, personally, I love this movie so much. I just want to give it a perfect score. But I have to bring myself down to reality <laughs> and realize, you know, this is this is not uh, the the Exorcist or the original Nightmare on Elm Street or I don't know, like the Omen or something like that, that I would probably give uh, a five out of five, which is what we call the Exorcist Award. Thus far, um, I've only dished that out for uh, Mario Bava's Black Sunday. Sure. So if I'm comparing, you know, this film to that film, it's not of the same caliber. But boy, oh boy, do I highly recommend this movie. Uh, it's just, again, there, I don't think there's really anything more I can say other than I, I love it. I really do. And I have an excellent R.I.Y.L. for this, too. All right, lay it on
0: me, because mine's not so good.
1: Well, I I put I put a lot of thought into this. And recently, I saw for the first time a movie that I had been burning to see for God, years, just because of all of the folks that collaborated on it. But this could have also been a perfect pick for something to mirror 31 as as far as our trapped and hunted movies. Um, but I'm going to go ahead with uh, 1989's Intruder. Oh, sure. What a great day. Th- yes, absolutely. I fucking love Intruder. Like That movie I could watch over and over again, and I thought to myself... What a great pairing that would be! I mean, that's a double feature right there that you could knock out in like literally less than three hours. (laughs) Yeah, and um, you know, Intruder is uh, for those that are not familiar with the film. I'm wagering that you've heard of many of the folks in it. Sam and Ted Raimi are both in that film. Um, It is directed by Scott Spiegel. There's even a cameo uh, from Bruce Campbell. And we get Dan Hicks, who's famous for his role in Evil Dead 2. Uh, And that's a movie where a bunch of folks are trapped in a grocery store. And they're getting picked off one by one, and it's kind of a whodunit sort of thing. But uh, if you like Intruder, you will love Chopping Mall. I can pretty much guarantee that
0: Yeah, that's a great pick. Hey, Chris, now that you mention it, Mm. one of the things that I thought about when I was watching Chopping Mall this time that didn't exist the first time I saw it seven years ago or whatever is uh, when you go to the grocery store in your town, do they have those robots that like clean up spills and stuff like that that kind of maneuver through the aisles of the store? And I don't know. I mean, they're there to clean up, but also, I don't know, I feel like they have some weird surveillance capacity to them also. (laughs) Do your stores have those or is that just up here in Connecticut? Have you if seen do, one of
1: these? If they do, I can't say I've seen one. Oh, man.
0: I see them all the time. They're incredibly creepy. They're always getting in the way. Um, I don't think they really use them much anymore. Like now, when I go to my <laughs> stop and shop, that's the store that we have up here, I usually see it kind of plugged into its charging station, which is a better place for it, because they do kind of creep me out a little bit. But I remember the first time I saw this thing kind of wandering through the aisles of the grocery store, and and I was just real weirded out by it. So I don't know. I guess uh, if you combined these... Two movies, you'd get that thing. I can't believe you haven't seen one of those. They're kind of very tall. It's um, almost looks like a traffic cone or something like that. It has eyes, and it's just—it's like a Roomba. I guess it's more of a Roomba than a, a sentient oh. killbot, but I don't know. I think there's something going on behind those eyes.
1: I'll take your word for it, man. I'm—I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure they're coming. You know, I'm I'll sure take I'll a see picture of it
0: next time I go shopping. <laughs> i love it well yeah great pick um i am also going to give this an atkins campbell a four out of five i think either one of them by the way if they could have afforded to have tom atkins or bruce campbell in this they would have fit into it perfectly but we got dick miller for like 30 seconds so that's something um but anyway, yeah, I mean, I think this movie is it's an absolute classic piece of 80s schlock, as we've said. And yes, it's not one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. It's very hard for me to give some I haven't given anything on the show yet. A five star a perfect rating and exorcist, as we call it. Uh, there's been a lot of films that have been very close. Last episode, we talked about Possum, which is a newer film that really did something to me, really moved me. And I almost put that I would have called that like a four point five. Um, this one I would also call, like a 4.5, but for completely different reasons, because, you know, it's not a good movie, but it's a great bad movie. It's it's great trash. It knows exactly what it is. It knows what its audience wants to see. And it just keeps delivering and delivering and delivering. The pacing is phenomenal. It just moves really, really quickly. There are fun scenes like around every corner. And just when you think it's over, it kind of ramps right back up again. I really just I like everything that they did here, and it kind of makes me a little sad that Wynorski kind of went in the direction that he did. Like, that documentary about him, Papatopoulos, is about him making this really cheap movie, shot on video. He had, like, three days to shoot it, so he just got three big-breasted actresses because breasts are kind of his thing. That's why it's called Papatopoulos. And they're just, like, shooting in a house. And you can see this is going to be a really awful movie, but, like, a bad, bad movie and not something like this, which is a creative and fun schlock bad movie. So, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, I I thought maybe that guy had more greatness in him uh, than than what he actually delivered over the course of his career. But as far as this film goes, it's just a ton of fun. And if you're looking to have fun watching a horror movie or a quasi horror movie, quasi science fiction movie, I can't recommend it enough. I mean, it's just it, it is. It's everything you want it to be and more. I will say the title is maybe not the greatest. They don't do a lot of chopping in this movie. I think that was just more a, a clever title than a descriptive title. Mostly they're using their onboard weaponry. So that's a little bit of a knock against it, but I'm not going to hold that too far against it. Because there is a great poster, which is uh, body parts in a shopping bag. Love stuff like that. We've talked a lot
1: about poster artwork on this oh, show. What's the show. Oh, it has like the greatest tagline ever. Maybe it's not on the movie poster. I'm sorry. I'm digging this out of my memory. I read somewhere Uh, that, like...
0: (laughs) The one on the poster is Where Shopping Costs You an Arm and a Leg.
1: Yes! Yes! (laughs) Yes! I love that.
0: It's like this, um, almost like a zombie hand or an alien (laughs) hand holding up a shopping bag full of body parts. And I don't know exactly how that fits into the movie. Yeah, the
1: the, the, the title and the poster were obviously just for marketing purposes. I mean... It's better than Killbots, I guess, which probably would have been a more appropriate title.
0: Well, yeah, but I mean, Killbots is so, I think that makes it sound a lot more serious than it is, whereas Chopping Mall kind of suits the tongue-in-cheek tone of the movie better. But on that note, uh, my R.I.Y.L. for this one isn't that great. I was trying to think of a really fun horror comedy like this one that is kind of knowingly a schlock film. And the best I could come up with is 2006's Slither directed by James Gunn, which is oh. nothing like this movie. It's kind of a you know, it's a it's an aliens in a small town body snatchers ish thing that turns into just a, a full on gore fest. Nathan Fillion's in that who I really enjoy a lot. And, you know, I I don't think the plots of these two movies are very similar, but the tone definitely is. And the humor kind of is. There's some line readings in that that reminded me of stuff in this. So I think if you liked Slither, which, um, you know, wasn't exactly a hit movie. I think it was actually a pretty unsuccessful movie. But I remember seeing that and just really, really loving it and loving the tone of it. And this movie, I think, captures that in a lot of ways also. So
1: guess what, Nick? What's that? I'm going to have to take your word for that.
0: You haven't you seen Slither. Oh, man. I have not.
1: I have not. And I've actually had people recommend it to me in the past. It's great.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, again, I would give that one probably pretty close to a 5 also, a 4.5 or whatever. But, yeah, um, definitely make Chopping Mall part of your Halloween horror movie binging this year. Oh, yeah. Again, it's yep. not the scariest movie, but if you're just drinking beers with your friends and having people over for a movie night, you can slot it yeah. in really easily because it's so short, <laughs> and I think everyone will have a good time with it.
1: Yeah, you can put this movie on at 5 p.m. and have dinner at 6.30. Sure. <laughs> like, like you know. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And, like, for all the blood and sex and nudity and stuff in this movie, it just it feels very innocent, you know? It feels like it comes from a, a time where, I don't know, just a sort of more whimsical and more fun time. Sure, hmm I agree. All right, so uh, big praise for Chopping Mall, and now it is time to talk about Rob Zombie's 31. So check out a little bit of the trailer for that, and we'll be right back to talk about it.
1: Now you may think you see a grease-painted reformer sitting before you, but trust me, I'm not here to brighten your dismal day. Ah! I am here to end your miserable life. You know, all in all, you've had a pretty good run. Deep down inside, you must have known. You
0: digging what you see, Thoughts? I reckon I
1: do. <laughs> it all had to end somewhere.
0: Okay, we are back, ready to delve into the filmography of one Robert Zombie. This is not his most recent film, but it's one of his most recent films. 2016's 31, which that is a title that I was expecting to be somewhat explained. I had never seen this before, and I had always wondered why it was called 31. And now I have seen the movie, and I'm still not entirely sure.
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a game called 31, but, uh... I, the movie starts off on October 31st, 1976, so maybe it's a game that's always played on Halloween? I don't know. I think it is,
0: but I don't know. I don't. I mean, <laughs> when I think of Halloween, I think Halloween. I don't think 31. I don't think the 31st. But
1: It's just a cool time. It's just Rob Zombie being like, I want to make a movie called 31. Sure. You know? I don't know. <laughs> well,
0: I, again, IMDb Trivia. Thank our lucky stars for that. Um, I, he said something about like he read a statistic where Halloween is the day where, where the most disappearances happen of people in America, the 31st. Ah. So he wanted to make a movie based on that. And that does happen here. So, um, Chris, why don't you give us a sense of what 31 is about?
1: Yeah, so the movie starts off and we meet these uh, carnies that are played by Rob Zombie's wife, Sherry Moon Zombie, uh, and a couple of other Rob Zombie regulars, uh, Jeff Daniel Phillips, Meg Foster, Richard Brake, and... Oh, um, uh, Richard Brake Lauren- is
0: not one of them. We got to talk about Richard Brake.
1: Oh, that's right. He's not one of the carnies. That's correct. I'm sorry. I was just going through the cast. Um, and essentially... Uh, Lawrence Hilton
0: Jacobs from Welcome Back, Cotter. I had no idea he was going to be in this. Love that oh, yeah. guy. <laughs> That's yeah. uh, Washington, I think his character's name was. That was a show from, um, from way before my time, but I used to watch that a lot on Nick at Night, and uh, and it was fun to see him as an older person because he was like a teenager in that.
1: I never knew that. And um, essentially, out of nowhere, their, their van breaks down and they are kidnapped uh, quite suddenly at the at very early on in the film, and they find themselves in this sort of remote, random warehouse
0: location i guess like an industrial where- facility yeah which yeah it looks like some kind of decommissioned like <laughs> power plant or something
1: i said to myself watching this out loud i was like where is this supposed to be but anyway right. it's 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 pretty interesting because from there it sort of turns into like a running man movie scenario where they're all given uh, 12 hours to survive and they basically are let loose and have to combat these murderous uh, clowns that they send out to kill them and what's really weird about the movie is that there's this sort of group of like aristocrats that are wagering they're playing a game they're betting on their odds of survival and are and are somehow yeah so they, yeah.
0: they're dressed like traditional aristocrats with like powdered wigs and stuff like that but this is set in America somewhere in the desert in 1976 and when these characters are first kidnapped they end up in this beautiful gothic mansion and then immediately they're in this industrial setting and I don't know exactly how these two locations are connected and I'm not sure Rob Zombie really thought that through either but they are both cool visuals they're cool cool places to to set some scenes
1: Right. And then as soon as they're in there, um, they they basically they send out, you know, these these people that play the game. Um, it's almost like they have their own roster of, of killers and they send them out one by one to dispatch of the the, the poor carnival people that were kidnapped. Um, and worth worth mentioning, it seems like kind of the ringleader of this whole thing is played by Malcolm McDowell who obviously played Dr. Loomis in both of Rob Zombie's Halloween movies and um, is... Most famous for his role in Clockwork Orange, of course. Yeah,
0: and it was—it's really fun to see him in this. I mean, I think he was probably on set for maybe a day or two. He only is in oh, that yeah. one location. I mean, it's uh, like you they, know, you, they you, got McDowell. He was
1: reading cue cards
0: <laughs> for sure. He was, but you know, he's a great actor and a classically trained actor, and he's been in a lot of great stuff. So again, a, a great addition to the movie. Top build in this, because uh, of course he is. Yeah, I, Chris, you got to answer this question for. I have a lot of questions about this movie, but like these five characters. Uh, Charlie is kind of, she's basically our main character, Charlie and Roscoe. And they are, they're on the road in this very Rob Zombie looking, uh, like, bus, like a, you know, kind of a hippie bus with a clown head on the top of it. And they're carnival workers, but, like do carnival workers go freelance like that? Like there's no carnival, you know, they're not traveling with like a Ferris wheel and a carousel and stuff like that. And, a, you know, a freak show or anything. It's like, I, it, it, are they just carnies looking for work?
1: I guess. I mean, at one point they're, <laughs> they're, they're discussing, you know, some improv or some of the, the sketches that they actually do. So, uh, that is left up to, your own interpretation, I guess, because it's never really explained. But yeah, I mean, it's like we're hanging out with them, you know, in this in this motorhome, I guess. Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of like an
0: RV. Right. And they're um, just driving around smoking weed and razzing each other. And a couple of them are having yep. sex in the back. Yeah. And- you know yes, they're uh, yes. they're kind of trashy characters as carnies in movies tend to be, and yeah, we get about twenty minutes or so of them just hanging out and uh, and getting to know them a little bit and hearing all kinds of very vulgar Rob Zombie
1: dialogue. Yep, it's it's so Rob Zombie, it's ridiculous, and uh, I I do like kind of the uh, the whole sort of grainy texture of the film and it it definitely does a pretty good job i think of being set in you know the, the the time it's supposed to take place in the 70s but like i said i mean they basically they stop for gas somewhere and then later on that night they're they're driving and they stop because there's some weird like scarecrow looking shit in the road yeah um and then they are just kidnapped And, like, the movie just cuts right to them, you know, standing in front of Malcolm McDowell and company, and he's explaining the rules of 31 to them and giving them their survival odds and things like that. Yeah, and their odds
0: are really not good. Yeah. Yep. And the it gets, the it, best yeah, they get is like 50 to 1. And uh, I think that goes all, all the way up to like 1,000 to 1 the first time around. And at one point, I think he says one of the characters has a million to 1 odds of surviving this game. Like you said, it's kind of a running man setup, kind of a most dangerous game setup where rich people are basically betting on a hunt uh, against, you know, poor people, essentially. I mean, this is his mm-hmm. carny characters. They're sort of typical Rob Zombie, trailer trash sort of characters. And I would say at least the beginning of this movie has that Rob Zombie sort of grungy, schlocky trailer trash aesthetic to it that I love so much. But once they actually get into this industrial facility, it kind of just looks like an industrial facility. Like I I agree with you that the period detail and stuff like that is very distinctive and very Rob Zombie for a little bit of this movie. But then that kind of all gets tossed aside uh, once they're actually involved in the game. Um, They're all given a weapon like You know, not really good weapons. Nobody gets a gun or anything like that, but just sort of bludgeoning weapons. And then the killers who are stalking them. By the way, it's it's sort of it's not exactly one at a time, but they're very they're organized in such a way where they're only facing like one threat at a time. So some of them do pair up, but like they're facing the two of them and then. Later on, like, you know, if, if they're to defeat that one, then they move on to like whatever the next one is. And the sort of end boss of all this is a character that we meet in the very beginning of the movie, the opening scene in black and white. He's called Doomhead. They all uh, have head. They're called the Heads and all of their names are something head. There's uh, Psychohead and Schizohead and Death Head and Sex Head. And the one that you really are afraid of is Doomhead, played by Richard Brake. We meet him at the beginning of the film, as I said, does this really great two-camera monologue. And then we don't see him again mm. till later on. But he's kind of the, the big bad, the final boss, the one that um, figures in the climax of the movie. And I, I don't really think it's much of a spoiler to mention that because that's pretty well set up uh, early on in the film.
1: Well, he's like the biggest baddest of them all. Yeah, and, he's, uh,
0: he's the one you call in, you know, no matter what. Like he's the guy that's going to end the game.
1: I think Richard Brake is outstanding in this movie. He's incredible. Yeah, he's uh, uh, he, he, he is one really, of the most memorable
0: yeah. villains I've ever seen in a movie.
1: Yep, and uh, legitimately intimidating and terrifying and disgusting. Yeah, and, but also like like really smart and intellectual too. Uh, he's a
0: monologuer. Yeah, he likes the villain monologues.
1: <laughs> yeah. um, does yeah, this yeah. like.
0: Uh, grease paint thing. He looks a little bit like the Joker. I mean, Richard Brake is he's not a, a really big guy, but he has this sort of gaunt, kind of scary look about him. He appeared as the Night King in Game of Thrones. Um, he's been in Rob Zombie movies. You've seen him in other things. He's in the Kingsman franchise. Uh, he's a Welsh actor. And yeah, I mean, just something about him, his eyes and his movements, his demeanor. Um, he reminds me a little bit of Nick Cave, the uh, the musician Nick Cave. He kind of looks a little bit like him and has kind of the same creepy vibe as him. And yeah, I mean, he, he's not in this movie as much as I wish he was, but he's absolutely mesmerizing in every scene that he's he's in
1: the the first time I saw this movie that monologue he gives at the beginning with the camera just up in his face he's like never blinking yeah and just the delivery of his lines and the whole thing you know like I'm gonna bless you with a story and he lights up the cigar and I was I remember I was absolutely terrified I was like this is gonna be the scariest movie I've ever seen like um I really like that opening monologue
0: yeah I do too
1: and uh yeah, from there, it's right. It's like they're just all kind of like trying to survive in this weird, very darkly lit um, warehouse. This movie is very, very dark in its, its aesthetic. Like I used the word gritty before, maybe kind of g- grainy. Like, I don't want to say it looks cheap looking, but I think that. It's definitely not like a high def, high definition film. Does that make any kind of sense? I mean, I don't know. It's yeah, really, well, it look it looks different than his other movies for some reason. It does. It looks kind of like a late '90s
0: uh, industrial rock music video, like the kind of thing you'd see on there MTV, like way in the middle of the night. But yeah, I mean, that's not really what I love about Rob Zombie. Like, I'm more of a Rob Zombie fan for the stuff that we see early on in this. Right, that that kind Ooh. of like sun baked devil's rejects kind of aesthetic where everything's just sort of rotten and gruesome, but it's all like very bright. There's like shots in that movie that are so bright, you almost have to like squint a little bit. And yep. yeah, I mean, this one is very, very dark. The cinematography and the editing through most of this movie is just like so, so very fast, and they cut away from almost everything. The action scenes are, are shot and cut in such a way where it's kind of hard to see what's going on. Um, and not in sort of a born identity, like, you know, this character's so good at what he does that you're just not fast enough to follow it kind of thing. It's more like a just let's shake the camera around a lot and have cuts every, you know, half a second or something like that and i think that really takes away from i mean basically as i was saying before this is as much an action movie as it is a horror movie i mean it is mm-hmm. gruesome and horrific and uh, and it's rob zombie so you know it's got a lot of sort of horror horror feel and horror vibe to it but you know the way it actually plays out it's almost like it it's an action film you know it's it's sort of um characters progressing through this location you know kind of sort of like a die hard thing where they're they're trapped in there and they're fighting their way through and not really using their wits the way uh, John McClane does, but mostly just getting into face to face confrontations <laughs> with these heads, all of whom are, are kind of distinctive. Right. Like there's a, a little person who dresses like a Nazi. He, he's like a he's like a Hitler little person. I don't know. How- it is
1: so creepy. It, a, yeah. <laughs> a, a, a midget, a Spanish speaking Nazi with just it's it's crazy. And I I do kind of like that because when he's speaking in Spanish, like none of it is subtitled yeah,
0: completely untranslated Spanish. Uh, there is a pair of characters who are I guess they're in some kind of romantic uh, relationship together. Mm-hmm. Uh, psycho head and sex head.
1: Yep. That is correct. And then there's the, sorry, I, the... I I was
0: getting my heads a little mixed up there. Yeah. So um, they're like kind of a kinky S and M couple kind of thing. There's these two brothers, uh, Schizohead and Deathhead. They are uh, chainsaw clowns.
1: <laughs> they are chainsaw. There is so much chainsawing going on there's in this movie. A lot of chainsawing
0: like... going on in this movie. There's a lot of clowns in this movie. I knew a little bit about that going in, and I was very excited for all that. Um, I thought the the concept and the setup of this were were really good and would make for a very interesting movie, but I can't say that the results always kind of led me in that direction.
1: No, I totally agree. And as I said, this was, um, you know, I had seen this movie before and I left after the first time seeing it with a uh, pretty mixed feelings about it uh, again, because I really liked that. Like there's a, I think there's a good symmetry in this movie between the beginning and the end scene and there's something that i absolutely can't get into without getting into spoiler territory that i really do love about the way this movie does end also in the in the vein of a lot of other rob zombie movies like Some of the music in it is like, you know, your total like 70s classic rock stuff.
0: Yeah. And like big songs, too. I was very surprised to hear California Dreamin' in this by the Mamas and the Papas. Uh, It's got Dream On by Aerosmith. I mean, it's a low budget movie. It was crowdfunded. I think it cost a million five. And I didn't think they could get the rights to stuff like that for this movie. But apparently, they did.
1: yeah. And that's what's funny. If you look at like I actually own the OSTs to. um his Halloween movies, and that's all they are—is just it's all classic rock. It's funny how that's sort of, you know, a fingerprint of his that he puts on all his movies. Um,
0: uh, and then he and uh, and John Five from his band—they do some of the original scoring work for this as well. And I was
1: yes, and I was going to comment on that. I think some of the sound effects and some of the original, uh, you know, synthesized music that they do in this is really good. Um, a little
0: Carpenter esque.
1: Oh, uh, totally. To- there, I app that thought absolutely. Uh, crossed my mind as well, and it's just sort of a strange film, you know. Like I, again, I think I definitely came out of it appreciating it the most after after this viewing. But you know, it's it's. I think to your point, if we're comparing this to some of his other work, like The Devil's Rejects or even his Halloween movie, um, I know you haven't seen Three from Hell. I think it's a fantastic film. One of those things where, like, if you like the Devil's Rejects, I think you're—it's it, kind of a shoe in there. But um, yeah, I mean, when I saw this on Shutter, I'm like, this is such a perfect opportunity to revisit it, and I also selfishly picked it because I know you hadn't seen it before, so there you
0: go. Yeah, and I really wanted to. Um, I was actually going to go, they did do like a Fathom Events, like event screening for this in 2016, and I just couldn't make it the night it was showing, and I felt like I was enough of a Rob Zombie fan. Like, I love The Lords of Salem, which uh, we haven't really talked about too much yet, and maybe we'll get into on the show at some point, but I was pretty pumped for this, and the idea that, like, he was going to come out and make this movie that was a very Rob Zombie movie, like, totally unencumbered by anything else, you know, crowdfunded, independently released. I mean, not that all of his movies aren't very distinctly Rob Zombie movies, but I thought this was going to be his like kind of go for broke thing. I uh, was submitted yeah. to the, the ratings board a couple times, came back with an NC-17. He said it was going to be the most brutal movie that he'd ever made. And I was like, all right, I'm down for that, whatever that is. But um, yeah, I, I don't I don't know that it quite lived up to that hype.
1: No, and that's the thing is expectations always ruin everything. Sure. You know, it's like I sort of I I can imagine myself in 2016 going into this with like, you know, wild anticipation, like having come off of Lords of Salem and stuff like that, which I also really enjoyed. So, yeah, it's, you know, again, compared to some of his other work, it's not um, I don't think on that level. But I do have to warn you, you know, especially if you've never seen a Rob Zombie movie before. I mean, it's raunchy as hell like the, yeah the, it's very vulgar like <laughs> the, the dialogue misogynist is... vulgar
0: yeah there's a lot of totally. like x-rated jokes yeah. in this movie that don't really need to yeah. be there but are there just to sort of flavor things a
1: little bit it's it's a gross movie yeah you know like there's as, no as much of his stuff it. is yep yep absolutely um chris you want to can... rate this thing uh, I want you to go first. <laughs> okay.
0: So, I, I mean, I do kind of want to get to rating it because I have more to say about it, but I think in the context of that, it'll make sense. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm going to just flat out say this is not a very good movie at all, in my opinion. It's it's not well made. It is not up to the standard. As you were just saying, he's made good movies before. Uh, There's a quote from a review of this. Uh, I, I don't remember. I'll paraphrase it. I don't remember exactly who wrote it. I should pull that up. But, you know, just for the sake of discussion, the quote was something like, Rob Zombie can make better movies than this and the proof of that is all of the other Rob Zombie movies and I'm kind of in agreement with that I mean I had high hopes for this in the beginning because it did seem to have that same sort of like I said that grungy sunbaked, devil's reject kind of feel but once it actually gets into the meat and potatoes of it like the confrontations in this movie between our our heroes who are not particularly likable heroes Uh, the only one I really liked was uh, Lawrence Hilton Jacob mostly because I just liked him on Welcome Back Cotter. He plays a a Mm -hmm. Jamaican accented character named Panda Um, and of -hmm. course Meg Foster because Meg Foster is awesome but um, she's badass. Yeah, she's always badass but like when they actually get into it, I mean, there's like chainsaw fights in this movie. And, you know, anytime I see something like that, like in Mandy, I'm like, all right, that's one of the things I come to the movie for is like over the top stuff like a chainsaw fight. Um, very much like in The Running Man. Right. There's all kinds of stuff like that in The Running Man. But they're just like not staged with any kind of flair in this. It's just kind of like characters swinging weapons at each other and kind of clashing weapons and the camera shaking all over the place. And you can't really tell like the geography of the scene. And I mean, it all it just feels very cheap and very sort of like uninspired and uncreative and even the production design and the settings and everything. I mean, I I so badly wanted to get out of that location because it's such a boring location. You know, it's the kind of thing that we've Mm -hmm. seen in thousands of movies before. And, you know, it's one of those things that low budget movies do all the time, right? Like let's shoot in a, an industrial facility, some kind of decommissioned water treatment plant or something, and we'll just pump a bunch of smoke and blue light into there. And that's atmosphere. And like, That's not Rob Zombie to me, you know? Rob Zombie creates atmosphere in in all of these locations, and I didn't really get much of that out of this. Didn't really care too much about the characters. Sherry Moon Zombie, it's been said before, not the greatest actor in the world. Uh, She's fine in this. I didn't think she was that bad. She didn't pull me out of it. She's got a great look for something like this. I love the costuming. Uh, There's some some great choices there. Her uh, her lion shirt, her lion half shirt that she wears through this is, is an interesting choice. Peace. But I don't know. I mean, it, I just found it very uninvolving. And although I was looking forward to this being just a brutal gore fest, because, you know, every once in a while, something like that can be fun. Um, it really just kind of cuts away from that. We don't really see much of it. The violence doesn't really hit that hard. We don't care about the characters that much. So, you know, I, I think uninvolving would probably be the best word that I can use to describe it. Uh, but the I, I'm going to give this a two. So I don't know that I've said that Whoa. yet. I'm going to call this uh, scarcely scary, a two out of five. Um, But I'll say there's a couple of things that really I liked about it. And those are the scenes uh, with Richard Brake. Anytime he is in this movie, this movie comes to life. He really brings it to life. And you mentioned the ending before, and I won't spoil it, but the ending was very unexpected uh, to me. And Mm -hmm. I thought very well done. It's the best looking and best directed part of the movie. It's the one that made me want to see more of this and you know Mm -hmm. he figures heavily in that i mean this actor is like you said he's really intimidating really terrifying but also funny and witty and uh and he has this way of super confident confident (laughs) yeah this way of moving and talking that is just kind of mesmerizing and uh and he's a a great movie villain and i'm sure he's gonna continue to get work for the rest of his life based on this role so good on you richard Brake. i mean you i I probably would have given this the lowest rating possible if not for him and for you know just the the production design at the beginning of this movie you know the, the RV and the gas station they stop at and stuff like that. Like that felt very Rob Zombie to me but uh, but the rest of it not so much. I will say though the one thing that I was thinking throughout this movie is this setup feels very much like a video game and I would have kind of rather seen this as a video game right like it almost and i'm sure this is not how this movie gestated but like i almost feel like rob zombie had an idea for a multiplayer horror rob zombie style video game that no publisher wanted to make into a video game so he said what the hell let's just make a movie out of it right but can you imagine you get to pick one of these characters you're let loose into the maze uh it's a multiplayer game so you can kind of communicate with the other hero characters Ooh. and you're just fighting yeah. off the heads you know with chainsaws and improvised weapons and stuff like that. Uh, the other thing is one big difference between this and chopping mall is there's clever stuff in Chopping Mall that you don't get here, right? Like, the way those characters use the things they find in the mall to fight the robots, like the propane tanks and raiding the sporting goods store and that kind of stuff, and going through the air ducts and all of that. Like, not that that's the most clever stuff in the world, but this movie doesn't even try that, right? These characters kind of run into a head. That head gives their, like, little cutscene. They do their little monologue. Sometimes they go away for a while just to kind of fuck with the characters, which I didn't really understand i thought they were there to kill them not to toy with them but they do a lot of toying with them and then it's just like a fight and uh and they're not particularly visually or kinetically interesting fights but maybe they could be if this were a video game so um i'm gonna give this a two out of five and my riyl uh unfortunately i have to do it because i couldn't really think of another one i'm gonna say the running man uh the 1987, I believe, Arnold Schwarzenegger classic about a brutal game show from the future. Similar setup to this and uh, similarly over the top to this, but in just a much more fun and creative way. And uh, of course, based on a novel by Richard Bachman slash Stephen King. So that gives it a little bit more uh, prestige and credibility also.
1: It's so funny that you said the running man, because I'm not a gambling man. But if I were going to make a gamble, (laughs) I mean, I know the comparison's been made a lot and rightfully so. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen The Running Man in a while, and I would really like to revisit that film. I can't imagine what it would be like to watch it in 2022. Um, <laughs> yeah, that future anyway. never really came to be, did it? No, no, it didn't. But I remember really liking it as a kid. Sure, me too. Um, yeah, so I'm going to go ahead and give it a three. Um, I'm going to give it a three out of five, the the Stand By Me award. I will, I will start off by saying... This is definitely my least favorite Rob Zombie film, so that it you know right off the bat I can I can say that um, confidently. Now I, I am pretty much simpatico with you on everything you just said. I think the reason why I might give it a notch higher is because of how good Richard Brake's character is in this movie. I. I kind of wish there was more of him, but then at the same time, I think that's also what kind of makes his character so great is like, you don't really get him all, all that much. It's like, I love the beginning. I love the end and everything else is, in the middle is just sort of like,
0: eh. Would you agree with me that this movie's a little bland? And like, Rob Zombie doesn't usually do bland. That's never a word. I mean, I I don't love all of his movies that I've seen. Like, probably my least favorite uh, until I saw this one. This one's definitely my least favorite that I've seen. But up until this point, I was kind of not too hot on House of a Thousand Corpses. But thinking Mm -hmm. back to that movie, which I now want to watch again, I remember, like, a lot of scenes from that movie. I remember a lot of characters and a lot of moments. And thinking back to this one i remember richard Brake and really not much else and i saw this like two days ago
1: yeah and house is so texas chainsaw and like house has a lot of comedy in it like it's yeah. it's definitely a, a a more enjoyable and entertaining watch
0: it's the same setup too right i mean they are both like yeah. they, they kind of start out a lot like the texas chainsaw massacre
1: which is fun yeah and uh right but i do one thing i do like about this there's a there's a strobe light scene in it um, oh, man. It, yeah. It, if you're it,
0: epileptic, uh, I hope you are forewarned about this movie. There's a lot of strobe lights in this and uh, it is that can really bother some people.
1: Yeah. Yep. Um, so beware of that. But one thing I do like, you know, you mentioned that the that the characters aren't that likable and I agree, but I will say I do like how they they fight back. You know, I I like the fact that they at least team up. Like, they don't just go in there and give up, right? Yeah. Like, they really do some ass-kicking in this movie. Um, And they stand up for each other, right?
0: Because they're kind of like... You know, fucking with each other through the beginning of this movie and, and razzing each yeah. other and joking back and forth and, you know, like talking shit and all that stuff. But when push comes to shove, they actually do kind of some heroic stuff, uh, particularly Charlie, uh, Sherry Boone Zombie's character. Yes. So, yeah, I kind of like that about it. And they they are. I mean, even though they're put into this hellish situation, like you said, they don't just give up the ghost, but they pick up some weapons and, and get to it.
1: Yeah. Like I love when she, when she's like, let's go kill these bastards or whatever she yeah. says, or like, you know, we need better weapons, like that sort of thing. And, and that I found entertaining. I think this movie, I think you kind of like our, our, two out of five star rating, which you just gave it is, uh, we call the scarcely scary, um, rating. And I think that's very appropriate as your selection because it's really not that scary. It's just very disturbing. It's like way more disturbing than it is scary.
0: See, like I I was expecting more disturbing though. I mean, it's, there's a lot of shock value in it, you know, like, like the little person Nazi and uh, we see kind of his lair, like all the heads have like their own room in this facility that they kind of decorate with. Body parts and uh, and just the stuff that they're into. So uh, his is like Nazi paraphernalia, but like I don't know, stuff like that seemed very they're like easy shocks and not like real disturbing things. Uh, there is there is one thing I I won't get into exactly what it is. It involves a blow up doll that I found pretty disturbing. I don't know that I've ever seen that in a movie. Oh before. man! Um, but other than that's that, that's what I'm talking you know, about. It all man. kind of felt like you know cheap wannabe shock tactics rather than like real disturbing. Bing, sit with you for the rest of your life kind of shocks.
1: Sure. And, you know, the, the whole Malcolm McDowell and company in their Victorian attire and everything <laughs> like that totally doesn't work at all. It's like every time they go back to it, they just say, two or three lines of dialogue, and then you go right back to the movie.
0: I also wonder, and Chris, maybe you can answer this question for me, because I was trying to figure it out the whole time. Like, they seem to be able to watch this thing in real time. How? Yeah, like, I don't see any cameras anywhere. And we're talking about 1976, so you don't have, like, video. Like, you can't just drop little uh, (laughs) GoPro cameras all over the place. So I'm like, how do they know exactly what's going on? Like, how are they able to see this? And that's never really touched on.
1: Yeah, zero zero explanation of that. Um, but I do like how they fight back. I do think that you mentioned before. Also, it's almost more of an action movie. I mean, it's not boring, really. You know, I mean, it does have its its fair share of action, and the, it's the, the pacing is okay. Yeah, it's repetitive, yeah, it but
0: not boring. Boring.
1: So the reason why I'm going to give it a three, though, are for the reasons I just mentioned, and because I'll stand by it. If you are a fan of Rob Zombie films, I think it's worth checking out just once. You know what I mean? Like, just to, if, if you're a completist like me and you have to see everything that someone's done, like, go ahead and watch it. Uh, there are people out there that love this movie, for sure. And um, there's there are people that absolutely hate it as well. But uh, my R.I.Y.L. for this, and I think I got another good one here, Nick. And this one, obviously I was going to say The Running Man, but then I thought to myself, ooh, I think Nick is going to say The Running Man. <laughs> this is crazy how, like, we, if we start being able to, like, predict what our R-I-Y-Ls are, by the way, because you could actually make a pretty fun game out of that. But this movie reminded me a lot of, I know that um, Rob Zombie, one of his favorite directors is Toby Hooper. And this movie reminded me a lot of The Fun House. Okay. Um. From, from 1981 you know again it's it's your your it's a little bit different of a setup because this is you know a group of people going to a carnival as opposed to you know carnival people being kidnapped but there was just a lot of a lot of um, I don't know a lot of the aesthetic similar um, characters and the whole time I was watching it I was just thinking to myself I'm like man I know like the whole clown aspect too I think if you like the fun house, You may like Rob Zombie's 31.
0: That's fair. Yeah, I haven't seen that movie. I think I watched it on TV once when I was a kid. It's been a long time, but I do remember it. And actually, I think the impression that I had in my head of 31 before I saw it was something more like that, right? Like, I thought the place that these characters were trapped in was more of, like, a funhouse-type atmosphere, right? Because the, the... premise of the movie like the log line for the movie involved killer clowns that's kind of all I knew killer clowns versus carnies was kind of all I knew going in so I thought it would be like more of a fun house set with like you know demented looking clown stuff everywhere and like a hall of mirrors and weird carnival shit like that a freak show uh, aspect of it with you know mummified like freak corpses in, in jars or something. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. Like nice. I guess that would have taken a lot more effort than was actually put into this movie because it's kind of just like you know, a uh, Roger Ebert used to call them like steam and sparks factories. This whole thing is kind of set in a steam and sparks factory except for uh, some scenes toward the end which I think are really good scenes. But like, I don't know, if this did have more of a creative kind of setting like the funhouse and kind of played on that like demented carnival funhouse idea a little bit, I would have enjoyed it a lot more um but i i guess the uh these people in the powdered wigs they've got a lot of money but they don't have enough money to create like sort of their own uh because it's called murder world right like which i don't think they say in the movie but this location is referred to like in in reviews of the film and stuff as murder world and i would have actually liked to see murder world be more of a, a theme park kind of setting
1: sure yeah the setting doesn't work uh for me all that much and i do think i do think that the Funhouse is a A better film. I don't know how much better. I didn't love it when I saw it, but um, I definitely saw the similarities there. It's just like, you know, we mentioned how Rob Zombie is like constantly uh, injecting into his film influential styles of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which was obviously also Toby Hooper. And I kind of went on this kick where I was like trying to watch some more Toby Hooper movies in particular, like his earlier stuff. Like I watched um, I watched Eaton Live as well not too long ago. And uh, I can't say I love any any of them as much as Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but I think they all kind of are in that same wheelhouse. Sure where it's those kind of characters, the uh, the hillbilly horror, if you will, as I've heard it called before.
0: Yeah, and again, that's uh, that's very much Rob Zombie's aesthetic as well, and uh, I mean, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is one of the great horror movies. If we ever end up talking about it on the show, I'll spoil right now. That's a 5 out of 5. Uh, that's as good as it gets, but um, unfortunately, oh, yeah. 31 is is what it is, and, you know, I, I really wanted to like it. I went into it, I tried to sort of ignore the, the bad reviews. By the way, uh, Chopping Mall has a 22% positive on Rotten Tomatoes. I think that's very unfair um, because I think 31 has a much better rating than that on Rotten Tomatoes.
1: That is, there is no justice in this world. No, there is um, absolutely no justice in this
0: world. Uh, uh, 31 has 35 on Metacritic. So, um, you know, not okay. a, a well-reviewed movie, but there is a couple of uh, of fans of it in there. There was like some 8s out of 10 and stuff like that. But I, that's like, I, I wanted to like it more. I really did.
1: That's like, that's like all Rob Zombie stuff, right? Like, I remember we were talking about The Devil's Rejects before. Like, that movie is so good. And... You know, it's like I've heard people say before, like, was that just a lucky thing for him? You know, that he kind of just like all the planets were in alignment and and he just was able to spit out this this amazing movie with this great energy and great characters um, that's disturbing and entertaining all at the same time. I mean, do you remember... Uh, Roger Ebert, like fami- famously giving the Devil's Rejects a great review, yeah, and like that he was started what made off... me see
0: that because I, I, like I said, I wasn't a huge fan of Thousand Corpses, and then Roger Ebert comes out and really
1: hypes up the Devil's Rejects, and I'm like, all right, I'll give this guy another shot. It's like it was such a cool review too because he starts it off just by saying like, I know I'm going to put off a lot of people when I say this. I'm probably even going to lose some fans, but gosh darn it, this is a really well-made, entertaining movie. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that is, that magic in a bottle, um, I don't think he's really been able to recapture. I think he came close with, um, you know, you talked about Sherry Moon Zombies acting, and I agree. I do really like her, though. I think it's cool that she's in all his movies. Um, I think she's really good in Lords of Salem. I think she's good in Devil's Rejects. And I think that... um, I think you would appreciate her performance in Three from Hell as well. Uh, maybe, maybe her best performance. I don't know. I really want to watch that again.
0: Oh god, uh, I really want to watch that. So is they... it on
1: Shutter? It was on Shutter at one point. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it still
0: is. I don't know. Maybe we'll get to that. Uh, in the I have a run up down gorgeous.
1: I have a gorgeous like Blu-ray of it with like all these additional features, and I've watched it a couple times, and I I, I like it more and more every time I see it, but yeah, 31's my least favorite RZ movie, but I will give it a 3, I, I will stand behind it, because, you know, I think it's okay. I'll leave it at that. I think it, <laughs> Nick, that's my blurb. That's my blurb on the back. OK, okay. dot, dot, dot. Chris Roll Chris from yep. The Chris from The Yes, yes, nice.
0: I mean, that's a better blurb than anything that I could give it. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I came out and said it's not a very good movie. It's uh, To me, it's not a very good movie. But that said, I mean, whatever he does next, uh, I mean, The Munsters, obviously, whatever he does when he goes back to kind of his standard R-rated uh, schlock trash horror thing that he's really good at, like The Devil's Reject i will watch it again i mean again i think he's an interesting and talented guy i really like watching interviews with him i like his music yes. uh to some extent so you know i i'm on board for rob zombie i would consider myself a rob zombie fan but i i just feel like he kind of swung and missed with this one or or maybe it was just a low effort thing that that he was trying to you know i think he was going for fan service and didn't quite hit it but I don't know. I don't think there's really much more to say about it other than maybe for super fans of Rob Zombie only. And other than that, I think maybe avoid this one.
1: Well, so far, you know, looking at the rankings that you and I have dished out for now 12 different movies, you and I have been pretty close on our ratings for most things. It looks like the biggest disparity we had was was with uh, Summer of 84. Yeah, that's the only other movie I gave two out of five, too. Right. And I dished out a two out of five to Party Hard, Die Young, which you gave a three. So we are still waiting for um, Nick to give out the Exorcist Award. I'm sure it's going to be coming up soon. Again, my only one is Black Sunday at this point. Uh, Lots of threes and fours is what we've got so far. So
0: Yeah, yeah. So, I I mean, we're not trying to do that, right? But... You know, I guess everything has kind of been good and bad in some ways. And uh, and, and sure. the really good films, they've been really good. They just haven't hit that, you know, classic tier that we talk about all the time on the show. But I'm waiting for it. You know, it's
1: it's coming. I know it. Well, we got to have some kind of rancor episodes, too. And I think one thing I want to say is that nothing's finite, right? Like, it's OK to change your mind on something. It's it's that's I, I have no problem with that.
0: Are you just trying to get me to watch 31 again?
1: <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe because I like... got a lot
0: of movies to see, dude. And I'm not sure if I want to do that.
1: I I totally get it. Yeah, there's there's a hundred
0: and three wha- minutes that I probably could have spent more productively.
1: You could have almost watched <laughs> uh, Chopping Mall and Intruder in that one setting. It's true, uh, which would have been time better spent, in my opinion. But.
0: Fair enough. Nothing,
1: nothing. But again, I, I will end it by saying nothing but respect. Rob Zombie, sorry, man. Like this one just didn't really do it for me all that no, much, man.
0: But I, I love we're... the guy, and like if Dragula yeah. comes up on a Spotify playlist or something like that, like I'm cranking that as loud as it'll go, and uh, and I'm I'm always gonna listen to it. I
1: love Living Dead Girl. I have to mention this. I have this great Rob Zombie compact disc, which is like, it's a greatest hits compilation. And I will confess that every now and then I will pop it in the Jeep and it's hilarious to like, like, I'll like literally drive on the beach in my jeep like pumping rob zombie it's like no one else will ever do that and i always turn it up a little bit like when i drive past like old people and like it's really <laughs> it's like the funniest music you could possibly play in front of old people like it's just it's a thing i do i know it's weird but um yeah like i listened to it recently for the first time in years and i was like damn dude Holmes has got some hits you know yeah. like he's got some really he's got some bangers for sure yeah
0: I, I, I'm never gonna stop great song that is heavily inspired by Clockwork Orange so a little bit of synergy there he must have been a big Malcolm McDowell fan but yeah, yeah. I, I'm pro zombie I'm team zombie I just don't really love this movie that much but um, we would love to hear from you about 31 and Rob Zombie or anything else that we've talked about on this show or just this show itself we are available via email at shuddering pod s h u d d e r i n g p o d at gmail.com we're on twitter at Shuddering pod we're on facebook facebook.com slash pod and our website where you can subscribe to the show and download all our episodes although you can find us on all the major streaming services like spotify apple podcasts etc but our website is shutteringpod.simplecast.com we would really really appreciate a rating and a text review on whatever service that you use to download and listen to podcasts And we will catch up with you in two weeks on the next episode of The Shuddering.